Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. called um, Wartime Letters, and it's the book of Revelation, and we're studying the first five chapters of the book of Revelation, and it's Jesus's letter of encouragement to his church, to us, to Christians, because Jesus knows something. We're at war. Whether you realize it or not, we are in the middle of a war, and so what is Jesus doing? He's sending us a message from home, heaven, that's our future home. And he's telling us, hey, this is how to persevere. This is how to overcome. This is what you're facing. This is how you can endure even in the difficulties of this life. And so what we're doing is we're looking at these seven different churches that Jesus sent a message to. And even though this message is to a specific church 2,000 years ago, these messages are for the universal church. It's for every one of us. It is for you today. And so today we're going to look at Jesus' message to the church at Thyatira, and this is the church who is too tolerant. The church is too tolerant. I mean, let me ask you a simple question. Do you feel like you're a tolerant person? Now, in our Western culture, tolerance is considered a very high virtue, right? I mean, if you're tolerant and you're accepting and, and endorsing of other people's views or standpoints or lifestyle or whatever it is, you're considered tolerant. And what that means is, is that in our culture, at least, that means that you are open-minded, you are progressive, you are intellectual, you are, in essence, loving, right? But the opposite's also true. If you're not very tolerant, then our culture will say, well, you're narrow-minded or you're bigoted, and ultimately, if you're not tolerant, you are unloving. But here's the deal. I believe that the most loving person ever walked on this planet is Jesus Christ. And yet, in this passage, Jesus confronts this church for being too tolerant. You go, really? Yeah. Check it out. It's found in Revelation chapter 2. Look at it, beginning in verse 16. Look at what Jesus says. Right. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame, the one whose feet are like fine bronze. I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first. But I have this against you, you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction unless they repent of her works." This is God's word. You are what it says you are. You can do what it says you can do. And we are to obey where it says we are to obey. Amen? So let's think about this today. Let me set it up in this way. Um, a number of years back, there were these shepherds in Solik, France. And they happened to be walking on these sand dunes. And they noticed that there was something protruding out of the sand dunes. 
And they begin to investigate, and they said, well, there's something got a structure here. And so they started digging around it, and they got some help, and they realized, oh my goodness, it's like a tower or something. And so they dug more and more, actually had experts come in and begin to do excavation around it, and they dug and dug and dug. After months, they eventually uncovered this. Check it out. This church. <laughs> I mean, an entire church had been buried in sand and it had been buried for over 100 years and totally forgotten about. Now, you may go, well, that's unique, that's strange. Well, it sort of is, but it's not completely unique. You see, churches can get buried not by the sands of time, but by the deception of our culture. It's a very subtle thing that can happen over time. The next thing you know, a church can get buried in deception. You see, last week, Jesus confronted the church of Pergamum, and what they had done, they started compromising with the world. Well, this church, Thyatira, has gone one step beyond that. They're not just compromising with the world. No, they've now taken the beliefs of the world, and they're now promoting it in the church, and they're tolerating that kind of false teaching even in the church. And what's happening is this church is literally being buried by the culture. And so how do you prevent that? How is it that you and I, I mean, we're supposed to follow Jesus, and yet we live in a culture that is against Jesus. How do we stand and not, you know, compromise? How do we stand and not get overwhelmed and get buried by the deception of this world? Well, there's four principles that I want you to see that Jesus gives us in this passage, and I encourage you to jot them down in your outline. The first one is this. Number one, first of all, you need to know something, that godly people can be deceived. It's true. Godly people, like maybe you and I, you may be somebody who says, no, not me. You know, we have pride and arrogance. We go, well, I'm, you know, I believe, I follow Jesus. I know the word pretty good. We're in a godly church. There's no way that I could be deceived. Well, that's not the case. The, the Bible says that Satan is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That means you and I, we can be deceived. This church was a godly, amazing church. Look at how Jesus commends this church. It's found in verse 19. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, I know your works, your love, your faithfulness, your service, your endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first. Six positive things Jesus says about this church. Jesus says, hey, man, you guys are amazing. You, you have incredible love. You have incredible service. In fact, what you're doing now is even more than whenever you first started following me. Jesus commends them and says, you guys are amazing, but my servants are getting deceived. Yeah, servants of Jesus Christ in this church are getting deceived. What happens is Jesus looks deeper and he says there's a cancer in the church. You know somebody has had cancer before, right? A cancer inside and it's this hidden thing and it just it eats the person up and kills them. Jesus says there's a cancer in this church and you guys don't even realize it. What is it? Well, look at it, verse 20. But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants. These are real Christians. These are servants of Jesus Christ. And what's happened? Well, they're, they're suddenly they're being deceived. Now, I don't know what's happened there. I don't know how it happened. But, I mean, most likely you, you become, you know, so broad-minded you end up walking on the broad way, right, that leads to destruction, or maybe, you know, you have this idea that says, hey, let's just go along so we can get along. And so what happens is we can begin to compromise certain things and, and we say, well, this isn't really true or maybe it is true. And, and we no longer really take stands between what's right and what's wrong. Uh, Mark Twain, the great um, American writer, he once came out and said that he was going to run for president. 
And so the reporters came around him and said, well, we would love to know, what is your position on these different issues? And Mark Twain said this, he said, quote, I am in favor of anything and everything anybody else is in favor of, (laughs) which basically means I have no position on anything. But here's the deal. If you stand for nothing, you will fall for everything. Now, we live in a culture of deception. This shouldn't surprise us, right? We we live in a lost world, and the world's going to follow the ways of the evil one. And, And we need to know that not everything that goes on in this world is right, I mean, you do know that not everything you read on the internet is true, right? And and the fact is, there's a lot of deception out there, and there's a lot of people that say, okay, this is what's true, this is what's right, and and, and basically, you know, the culture can say a certain thing, and the media can say a certain thing, and even the Supreme Court can say, hey, this is what is okay, but here's the deal. If it contradicts the Word of God, it's still wrong, okay? Okay? And so that's what Jesus is saying. Just because everybody else is doing this doesn't mean that we need to say it or do it. Now, obviously, today's Independence Day, and we celebrate the 4th of July, and one of the greatest liberties we have is freedom of speech. And you know what? I want to give anybody the freedom of speech to say and believe whatever they want to believe, and I'm going to you know, give them that right, but I want the right as well to disagree with them. And that's what Jesus is saying, that, hey, what's happened is, is that this false teaching in the world is now being taught in the church, and my servants are being deceived. You go, well, how does that happen? Well, it always follows the same progression. First, you are told to tolerate something. Just tolerate it, just tolerate it. And then over time, after you've tolerated something for a while, then it is accepted. And then after it's accepted for a season of time, then it is promoted and it is, um, you know, advocated. And so same progression. First you tolerate it. Then over time it's being accepted. And then after it's being accepted, it is being promoted. It always follows that progression. And Jesus says that's what's happening, not just in the world. We sort of expect that to happen in the world. It's starting to happen in the church, Jesus says. And now my servants are starting to be deceived. And so the first thing you need to know is that godly people can be deceived. We can. Second thing is this. Jot this down. Number two, so-called experts can be wrong, right? So-called experts can be wrong. I mean, isn't it amazing how many experts we have in this world? And you have whatever issue comes up, there's somebody that steps forward and says, well, I'm an expert. I've done this study. I've got this degree. I have this perspective. I am an expert in this area. And it's crazy all the, the, the nut things out there, right? I mean, you know, with the internet, there's all these crazy conspiracy theories and, you know, nut job kind of ideas that are out there. I mean, you know, we know now, after we've gone through a year of pandemic, that not all the experts know what they're talking about, right? And, and so you go, well, you know, these people that are experts, they say they know something, but they really don't know anything. And so what's happened in our culture is that the experts have excluded the word of God and God. I mean, think of it like this. I mean, in our schools, we, we can no longer teach the Bible, right? We can't. And in fact, even scientists will say, hey, you know what? In the, the public forum, in, in our classrooms, in science classes, we need to teach at least intelligent design because so many scientists will say, hey, all you gotta do is look at the evidence. The evidence proves it. That, you know, they're, they're, if you have design, there has to be a designer, right? I mean, there has to be something that started this off. I and mean, we didn't just all evolve from nothing. I mean, there had to be a designer behind this. But our culture says, no, 
We are not going to let the word of God to be taught, and we're not going to allow God to be taught. Well, guess what? You remove God and the word of God from the public square. What do you got? Everybody else's opinions, right? And so that's what we live. We live in a culture with everybody else's opinions. And so what happens is, is that kind of philosophy of everything goes, now suddenly is creeping in the church. Check it out. Look how it happened, verse 20. Jesus says, you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual morality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. You go, who is this? Well, Jesus calls this woman Jezebel. Now, that's most likely not her name. That's most likely her character or her nature. Just like if you have a traitor, you may say, you're Benedict Arnold. Well, she was a Jezebel. You go, who's Jezebel? Jezebel was the wickedest queen in the Old Testament, queen of Israel. And she led the people of God into sexual morality and idolatry. And Jesus says the spirit and the character of Jezebel in the Old Testament is now in this person. Now, this shouldn't surprise us that from time to time, you're going to have false teachers that make their way into the church. Jesus and the apostles predicted it. Jesus said that people are going to come into our body and they're going to be, you know, you know, wolves in sheep's clothing, right? And they're going to look like sheep, right? You're going to look at them and go, well, well, they look like Christians and, and they, they sound like Christians and they smell like Christians, right? They buy like Christians. They, they may quote scripture. They, they, they may, um, you know, you know, Talk about the gospel and the love and grace of God, and, and it's going to be something very subtle. And, and even though on the outside, it's like, wow, they look Christian, they sound Christian, they, they look like sheep, and yet Jesus says inwardly, in their nature, they're actually wolves. And you go, well, how in the world will you discern that? Well, Jesus said, you know them by their fruit. In fact, in this passage, and I've put it on your outline, there's three signs that you can look for for false teachers. You find it with this woman Jezebel in Revelation 2. So look at them on your outline. First of all, they grab authority. They grab authority. These are people that will promote themselves and say, I'm the expert. I'm the one you need to listen to. I'm in charge. I'm large and in charge. I'm the one that you need to listen to. Notice how Jesus says this, who calls herself a prophetess. She didn't wait for the church at large to go, wow, we recognize this gift in you. You need to be teaching. No, I need to be teaching. I need to be expert. I need to be the one who's in charge. They promote themselves, grab authority. Secondly, they refuse correction. They, the experts, I'm an expert, so you ain't gonna correct me. What does Jesus say? I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent. You see, that's something you need to understand, that People that consider themselves expert, the reason why they don't take correction is because they actually think they're right. That's what you need to understand. False teachers that come into the church, they don't believe they're false. They believe that they're telling you the truth. And so they're very sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. And so they refuse correction. Third thing is this. They claim special knowledge. They claim, this. I'm a prophetess, I've got this special insight, I've got this information, I've got this secret knowledge, I've got this hidden mystery that nobody else understands. I understand things that nobody else understands. And Jesus, how did Jesus describe this lady's teaching? Look at it in verse 24. He says, who do not hold this teaching, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan. See, a lot of these false teachers go, yeah, 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 believe the gospel, believe the Bible, but you gotta have my interpretation for you to really interpret it correctly. 
And you can look at the history of cults in our world, and what do you find? Always this, whether it be, you know, Joseph Smith comes up with a Book of Mormon, or Mary Baker Eddy, or David Koresh in Waco, or Rob Bell in the Emergent Church. What do they say? They say, okay, yeah, 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 believe the Bible. We're Christians. Of course we're Christians, but it is Jesus plus this. The only way you can understand this is through our interpretation, our point of view. And it always leads to deception. Can I just tell you something? When you have somebody who acts like this and they think that they have special knowledge and it's not lining up with the word of God, don't listen to them. And that includes me. Understand? This is our only standard right here. And whenever people claim anything above this, they're wrong. So, first thing Jesus says is, okay, hey, you know what? You can be deceived. And not all the experts and people that are throwing information at you are telling you the truth. But there's a third thing that we learn from this passage. Jot this down. And it's this, that false teaching can lead to sexual morality. False teaching can lead to sexual immorality. Anytime you see the cults, right, you have these cult leaders that next thing you know, they're doing something sexually immoral. That's why you had Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. They had multiple wives, and many of them are teenage girls. Or David Koresh in Waco, you know, he's raping young girls and getting all these people pregnant. See, it often false leaders, they have authority, and then they next thing you know, they get involved in sexual morality. Now, you may go, well, what does it mean, sexual immorality? What does that mean? Let me be real clear. Jesus said that sexual relationships should happen between one man and one woman in a marriage union, okay? Any kind of sexual relationship outside of that is considered sexual immorality, okay? And so that's what Jesus teaches. Well, that's what she's teaching. Look at it, verse 20. She's teaching against that. Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality, and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Now you may go, well, what is going on here, Pastor Tony? Well, biblical scholars, as they sort of have investigated the city of Thyatira, they say that it had a huge trade guild. I mean, imagine Thyatira sort of like Dalton, Georgia, with all of its flooring mills and flooring companies, right? Well, that's sort of Thyatira. And with every one of these trade guilds, you had a deity, you had a god, that if you wanted to be a partner, you wanted to be a worker in that trade guild, you had to pay homage to this particular god. And then almost all the pagan temples in the Roman Empire, it would eventually lead to not just worship, but it would often lead to some festival, some sexual orgy, and it would often lead to some kind of sexual immorality. And so, most likely, what's happening here is you have this woman, Jezebel, who says to the church, hey, you know what? Hey, it's just business. Boys will be boys. Things happen. It's just business. What happens in Thyatira stays in Thyatira. You know what? Don't ask. Don't tell. It's not really sexual morality. It's just business. You got to do what you got to do in order to go along. And Jesus says, no, it's still sexual morality. Now, you need to understand, it's hard for us to comprehend what the first church endured. I mean, the first century Roman Empire, it is pagan. You have, you have pagan festivals constantly. I mean, when you talk about a celebration of 4th of July, well, if we were in the first century Roman Empire, you'd be going to some temple, being involved in some temple prostitute, it would lead to some sexual orgy, right? I mean, that's the first century. It was like the air that they breathe. Everything led to sexual morality. It's like 
Las Vegas and San Francisco on steroids. That's the first century, you know, church. I mean, that's the first century world that the church lived in. And everybody, listen, everybody in the culture lived that way. That was what was normative. And the only ones that didn't go after the sexual morality in the Roman culture were Christians. We were the only ones that stood against that, okay? So what's happened? Well, what's happened in Rome 2,000 years ago is now happening here. And so now sexual morality has become normative in our culture, and suddenly it becomes normative in the church. And so whenever the church takes a stand and says, hey, you know what, this is what's right, this is what's wrong, our world and people will look at us like we got three heads or something, right? And what's sad is not just the world, it's the church. I can remember several months back, I was helping a guy out. I mean, his wife had committed adultery, and, and he's, he's a member of our church, and, you know, she had committed adultery and, you know, divorced him, and, and so I was just helping him through this really rough, difficult time in his life, and then he starts dating another girl from work, and, and um, you know, he's, he's emailing me for dating tips and that kind of stuff, strange emails that I get sometimes, but anyway, um, and, and so as in this conversation with him, I realized, okay, well, this girlfriend has now moved in with him. And I, I said, hey, man, you, you really need to slow this relationship down. You need to take a pause. You need to trust in God, wait on God. You know, and the fact is, you got young kids in your household. What kind of example is this? This woman has now moved in the house. And he goes, everybody's doing this. And I'm like, I don't care what everybody else does. I don't care what the world does. I only care what we do. This is what Jesus says, Right? And so what's happened is, is not just the world anymore, now sexual morality is in the church and you have the pervasiveness of pornography and the consistency of promiscuity and regular acts of adultery. And the fact is, is the brokenness of the world has now come into the church. And you have these false teachers that were basically saying, hey, it's okay. And we have an entire culture that now says, hey, we're now, we've gone through a sexual revolution, and this is okay, and, and this is how we should live, and, and we're now, this is an enlightened society we now live in. And I cannot tell you, we're not progressing, folks, we're degressing. We're, we're not moving forward, and you know, know what, we, we have devolved into the Roman Empire. We're going back 2,000 years to the Roman Empire. That's what our culture has done. And our culture says to us, hey, why don't you join us? And we go, why? Why would I want to join this? Because your sexually pervasive society is doing what? You have now in our society more broken families, more parentless children, more suicides, more divorces. Our culture is drowning in the cesspool of sexual sin. Why would we join that? You see, our culture says that this is liberty, and Jesus says, no, it is bondage. It's bondage. And so what you got to do is you go, look, the world's going to do what it's going to do. The church doesn't judge the world. That's what the Bible says. We're not judging the world. The world's going to be judged by Jesus at the end. i got no business you know, saying anything to the world, but I've got a business saying something to the church. And the church says, okay, Christ says, in the church, if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. Now, here's the deal. I know that some of you are maybe caught up in this right now. Maybe you're involved in some sexual immoral thing, or maybe you're addicted to some you know, pornography or whatever it may be. Let me just first acknowledge this. We are all broken sexually. We are. Every one of us, in one way or another, we're all broken sexually, and we need the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the healing of God, the power of God to change us, right? So we're all here together, right? It's all the grace. It's all the cross. That's the only thing that heals us. It's Jesus. That's the only thing that heals us. 
But listen, you, you can't believe the lies of the world because it's just gonna drag you further and further down. What does Jesus say to those that are involved in this in the church? What does Jesus say? Jesus says, repent. Jesus says, repent. And you may think that you're getting away with it, but you're not. The Bible says, be not deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever you say, you're going to reap. Again, we don't judge the world. We don't. Jesus is gonna handle the world on its own at the end. But Jesus says, judgment begins in the house of God. If you're a child of God and you're caught up in this, then what's gonna happen? He will, because he loves you too much. He's going to discipline you. He will. Notice how he did that in this church. Check it out. Look at it. Verse 21. Jesus said, I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. So what happened? Well, look, I will throw her into a sickbed of those who commit adultery with her into great affliction, unless they repent of her works. I will strike her children dead. That means those who have believed her philosophy. Then all the churches will know that I'm the one who examines the minds and the hearts, and I will give to each one according to their works. Jesus said, if you're caught up in this, there's healing, but you've got to repent. And if, if you're a child of God and you're caught up in this and you choose not to repent, then understand he's going to discipline you as a child of God. So Jesus said, look, false teaching often leads to sexual morality. It will. You're going to always find somebody out there that will tell you to indulge the flesh. But there's one final thing that Jesus gives us. Jesus ends all these messages on a positive note, and I'm thankful for that. And so what's the fourth thing? Number four is this. Jot this down. Jesus says, hold fast to the end. Hold fast to the end. Notice how Jesus says this in verse 25. Only hold on to what you have until I come. The idea is you got somebody that's hanging over a cliff, you know, they're just hanging on, dangling with their, their fingers, and they're hanging on. And Jesus says, you need to hang on. Hang on to what? Well, you got to hang on to Jesus, right? The world's going after the world. You need to hang on to Jesus. But I believe in this, the context here that we're to hold on to certain truths. Because, you know, this is deception and false teaching. So Jesus said, you need to hang on to the main things, right? Keep the main thing the main thing. You're like, what? Well, the gospel. Notice how the apostle Paul puts this in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says this, now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you're being saved. And what's the gospel? That Jesus Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose again. Look at the rest of that. He says, for I passed on to you as most important of what you received. Now, through the centuries, Churches have come up with doctrinal statements like the Apostles' Creed. Many churches across the world, they recite the Apostles' Creed every day. And you go, what is it? It's the essence of the Christian faith. You see, in the Christian faith, there are the essentials. There are the closed-hand essentials that we have, and they are non-negotiables. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to hold on to those things. And then there are some open-handed issues, things that you and I may disagree with, and we can lovingly, charitably, you know, love each other, even though we disagree about these things. But there are certain closed-hand things that we got to all agree on. You go, like what? Well, here, let me just give you a few. Number one, the Bible is God's word. It is inspired by God, it is an errand, and it has authority over your life. You don't have authority over it, it has authority over you, Okay? Number two, there is one God. He's a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The, the Godhead is triune, and he is holy, he's righteous, he created everything, he created you. And you and I, we have sinned and rebelled against this holy, righteous God. But here's the good news. 
God loves you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is God in the flesh, and Jesus lived the perfect life that we couldn't live, and Jesus endured the death that we all deserve to die. He died on the cross in our place and for our sins, and to prove it, God raised him up from the dead. And here's the good news. Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. That whenever you come to that place of surrendering of your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord, the Bible says that God forgives you of all your sins, cast them as far as the east is from the west, that he adopts you as his child and his Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you and starts changing you from the inside out. But there's one final truth. Jesus Christ is coming again. And one day Jesus is gonna step foot on this planet again and he's gonna rule and reign forever and ever as king of kings and lord of lords. Those are the essence of what we hold on to as a child of God, okay? And Jesus is saying, hang on to me. Hold on to those truths. And if you do, what's the promise? Check it out, look at it. Verse 26, I love this. The one who conquers and keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. And he will rule them with an iron scepter and he will shatter them like pottery just as I have received from my Father. What does that mean? That means if you hang on to Jesus, when Jesus Christ comes again, good news, you're gonna rule and reign with Jesus. That we're gonna be co-regent with Jesus Christ for all eternity. That's what the Bible says. But it gets even better. Verse 28. I will also give him the morning star. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus is called the bright and morning star. And so what does that mean? That means that you get Jesus. You hang on to Jesus. You hang on to those truths. Even in a world that's going to hell in a handbasket, you hang on to Jesus. Even in the season when it feels like you're, you're battling against the culture, the fact is you hang on to Jesus. Jesus said, in the end, you get me. <laughs> Whenever I come back and rise, you will rise with me. You get Jesus. Sort of like that old gospel song, Give Me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have this old world. Give me Jesus. That's the promise. You get Jesus Christ. Let me close with this. A couple weeks back, my wife Susan and I, we were in a um, marriage retreat in Northern California. Beautiful retreat, beautiful setting. It's in a national forest there. But about an hour north of where we were at in California, there is a town called Happy Camp. And Happy Camp is known for whenever in the um, 60s and 70s, you had all of the hippies in the California culture. They went up to Happy Camp, and there was a lot of drug use and alcohol and nudity and free sex, and that's why they called it Happy Camp, okay? And so that was what went on in Happy Camp, and so it's no surprise that it was at Happy Camp that this now famous photo was taken. Check this out. This photo right here, taken of Sasquatch there at Happy Camp, okay? And um, Bigfoot. And so what's happened for the last couple of decades, you've had all these people from all over the world, they've gone to Happy Camp in search of Sasquatch, in search of Bigfoot, Right? Now, what's interesting is a member of our group went up there, and they were, you know, doing some, um, you know, canoeing up there, and they talked to one of these guys, and he had left his family and left his job, and for the last two decades had lived up there looking and in search of 
Bigfoot. He lost it all for a myth. You see, because it's now come out that these guys created that picture and it was all a fraud. And yet this guy has spent his entire life, sacrificed everything for a myth. That's what Jesus is saying to us. He's saying whenever you buy into the lies of this culture, you're chasing Bigfoot. You think it's there. You think it's going to give you life. But Jesus says, follow me. Hang on to me. Cling to me. Cling to the truths. And what will happen? You're going to get the real thing. Jesus promises to give you life and love and joy and peace. You get Jesus. Quit chasing after the myths of this world. Chase after Jesus Christ and you'll get Jesus. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.